Welcome to the Washdown Podcast, episode number 106. And tonight, our guest is George Cowgill. Um, George was a firefighter in Birmingham, Alabama for 17 years. Uh, he recently retired. I uh, did a Facebook post that, uh, or an article, I'm sorry, that went viral. Um, so we just talk about the stresses of the job and stuff. James and I had a great time talking with him. Um, he's an awesome guy. So I hope you guys give this podcast a listen. So here you go. Episode 106 with George Calgill. Enjoy. Read it. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, dude. I am the world's worst about actually starting the recording. We shot an episode the other night um, with angry cops. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Big social media presence. He's a cop um, and a veteran does like funny YouTube videos and stuff. We did our little preamble like we were just doing and he went off on like a 10 minute rant. That was hilarious comedy gold and I recorded none of it. So, it. yeah. So like, could you say that exactly again, please? You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you just said it, say it again. <laughs> we'll laugh the same, everything. Yeah. 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 Okay. But no, uh, yeah. I, I thank you. Thank you for the kind words. It, it wasn't meant to be like, you know, like, uh, uh, oh, I'm so more, I'm so martyr. I'm just like, look, you know, I've been doing it for 17 years and I'm not doing it anymore. This is why, and you know, it's as simple as that. So it, it, go ahead. So I was going to say, just introduce, like, who are you to, to our viewers that didn't, you know, read that article? Who, who are you? Uh, my name is George Cowgill. I am a recently retired second generation firefighter for the city of Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, I own a couple of restaurants, Black Market Bar and Grill. I bartended all my life and then opened my own bars and grew up underneath my dad, who is a hero to me and to many others. I mean, he is one of those true old head, cigarette in the mouth firefighters that I, and I grew up worshiping him. And I knew my whole life that eventually at some point I would be a firefighter too. And I did that for 17 years. Uh, married with a very lucky, married a beautiful woman, uh, I have a daughter who just graduated college and a house full of pets. What, uh, so take us through, obviously you alluded to a little bit in that article, just a, a taste of what 17 years in this job is like, what, what got you to that point? Not only knowing it wasn't time to be in the career anymore, but to then writing that article. I, the, the two are hand in hand. It, getting that point, I just, like you guys, you guys are 24, 48. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think everywhere about like Manhattan's 24. Anyway, uh, I, I worked 24 hours and I was the busiest station in, in the state of Alabama. I was at station 19 in East Lake for all of my career. And, uh, I got promoted, and when I got promoted, they moved me to the other side of town, to, to the west end side of town. And uh, that year, 
for the first time in decades, that station became the busiest in the state of Alabama. So I felt like I was just far of sorrow. I, I took it with me. And, uh, you know, we're running 15, 20 calls a shift, no sleep, uh, up all night, you know, fires, uh, all the medical stuff, the BS calls, lift assist, car wrecks, murders. Um, and it just, it, it wearing me down. And then, so I'd go home the next day and I would be worthless. I'd be this, this zombie, this human being, you know, no sleep. And it just, that cycle just, it kept repeating itself. And I was like, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. I think it's eating me away. I, I really do. You know, when I, I was so, when I first started firefighting, the schedule worked out great for me. It's like, oh, I'll be there 24 hours. And I got 48 hours off to, you know, do whatever, to start these restaurants and these bars and you know, other things. And it became where that that time, not at the station, the station was still with me. You know, it was still the residual effects of, of being there for 24 hours. And that just got me to the point where, like, I think I've had enough. I think I think 17 years is, I, you know, I quoted Jason Isbell in my article, a singer I'm really into. And I just I was like, I've done my tour of duty. I don't have anything else to prove to anybody. You know, I talked to my dad about it, my close friends, my wife, and, and they all agree the same thing. If you're anything strange, I'm in here with my cats and they're running around fighting right now <laughs> that, that's them anyway but yeah I, I did that and i just you know people were asking me like are you coming back you know i went on fmla to make sure this decision was right for me you know i took a couple of months off i didn't want to do anything rash i didn't want to regret leaving and so you know i took that time off and i was like i'm i'm happy stepping away and once i realized that it was it was a done deal and you know no looking back and I, uh, you know, wrote that article about it. And it was the first time that I'd written anything about being a firefighter that was ungoverned, you know, like I didn't have to worry about like, well, what would the administration say? Because I've written stuff before and they were like, well, you probably shouldn't have said that or this, you know, something like that. Anything that that, bah, that they thought might hurt an image. But, you know, I wrote that one with like zero fucks. So. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I think it's uh you're in the minority as far as being aware of being able to step away because a lot of people just seem like they stay too long or they don't want to, they don't want to step away because how they'll be viewed, sure. you know, and they may have realized early in their career that it wasn't for them, but they just hang around and they end up paying, paying a price for it. No. I, I, and I've seen that a lot. You know, I, once it reached that point where I like, you know, where I didn't worry about what other people thought, you know, like, like I'd done my time, you know, it's just like, at the end of the day, you have to look out for yourself. You know, they, they teach us that, you know, like, oh, well, you know, you take care of yourself first and then your crew and then the civilians, you know, when you're on calls or in fires or whatever, but it's hard to think that, you know, when this job starts driving you crazy, you ha you got to remember that. I mean, you do. It, yeah. It's important. Well, they and, don't really, uh, they don't really provide very good instruction of how to take care of yourself. No, you know, they don't, and they don't tell you what that looks like of, you know, you need to go see a therapist. You need to work out. You need to do this. You need to do that. It's just, we'll take care of yourself. Oh, by the way, uh, we got you signed up for that extra 24 hour shift because we're short staffed. Yeah. You know, but you need to take care of yourself. Well, well, what is it? Do I need to take care of myself or do I need to work 96 hours straight because we don't have anybody else? 
And they, and, and like you just said, they, they'll say that in the same sentence too. Absolutely. And they just like, seriously, they a debriefing on, on a really bad call. And they'll be like, well, just everyone's all right. We're okay. You know, kid died. Everyone's okay. Everyone's fine. An hour later, an email will come out mandatory overtime the next day. It's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. One of the, one of the, I think the, out of the, that entire article, I think probably the strongest statement you made in it was I carried a five-year-old girl out of a burning building. No one cared. And <laughs> sadly, that might be the most accurate description of the fire service today. And that, that, that was hard. That was hard to th- realize. Uh, that yeah i mean it's just uh that was a tough day i mean you know like i, I felt like you know i don't know we we had two really bad fires that day and that was the second it was in an apartment building and uh it rolling rolling uh, out the windows of the door and i was pumping i mean i wasn't even in scba and stuff like that and I just saw when the door started to burn away, she was standing on her bed, you know, it was just, but you just, you'll get that, like that whole, well, that actually did happen. You know, me saying about the no one cares too, is it, like you just said, you know, in the same breath, they're like, oh man, good job. You know, now, you know, how come your shirt's not tucked in like an hour later or, you know, mandatory overtime. It's just whatever suits their, their narrative. And it just anything you did that deemed positive is quickly forgotten, you know. So, what were some of the things leading up, even before you went on FMLA? What were the some of the things that your kids, your wife, even your dad noticed at home, maybe before they even addressed it with you? Uh, my wife and I, and they. We're very open with each other. Uh, a distinct unhappiness, a, a dread of going to work, a new a new dread of going to work. It, it went from, I felt like, you know, it started with bartending. Like, you know, you bartend, you wait tables. Even if you're not in the mood, you're, you're going to put on a happy face. You know, you're going you're gonna to act. I mean, that's what I was taught when I bartended. And I, I was good at it. I've never drank a drop. And I bartended my whole life and made great money doing it. And it's just because I could put on a happy face, even if I didn't want to be there. And that just became more and more common with firefighting is that I, I didn't want to be there, you know, like not just like, oh, man, I wish I could, you know, duck out this shift. Like, you know, I dreaded going. I dreaded getting my ass handed to me for 24 hours. Uh, the administration right now last few years has been awful. I mean, I know everyone says that about the job. Oh, they hate their bosses. But I mean, I've been doing this for 17 years, but the last couple of years, this, this administration's really bad. Very unsupportive, very uh, our way, you know, the mandatory overtime and we don't care what you did. I don't know. I just didn't feel like it was supporting us either. And, and, and she noticed it when we're talking about it. And I, I became withdrawn. You know, I don't, I take my anger out at the gym and, you know, I play ice hockey. I've got outlets for that kind of frustration, but just my general mood, this job was just eating it alive. So I think that was the first thing she noticed. And we started talking about it and it got worse and worse. It never got better. And it started reaching a point where it was like, look, if you want to leave, 
let's do this. So you're lucky to have that type of uh, support. At home. <laughs> Man, absolutely. I've got. I said, I tell people joking, I said, I don't have a lot of close friends, but the ones I do, man, they'll, they'll go to war with me. And when I say close friends, you know, my wife and, and my daughter, I mean, smartest people I know and uh, very supportive. And, my, you know, my dad, he, he's he been there, you know, he came on in 1976 in Birmingham inexplicably. And, I, and I've told this story before in an interview, they, they didn't go to rookie school. They just for they just came out and went straight to the field. So you're hired here. You're a firefighter. Here's your helmet and your jacket. You're a firefighter. And and that night they had a first line fire and he was scared as shit. And, and we still talk about. It. He's like, I'll never forget it. I had no idea what to do. You know, they're they're talking about pull the line and catch the hose. I mean, you know, I don't know how to do anything. And uh, so he came in. He came up on our different time and did you know two and a half decades of that stuff. So. I'm curious if you've had these conversations with your dad, because Jeremy and I have had him on the show. I think a lot of major metropolitan areas, if you talk to their guys, there's been a massive disconnect between administration and the line personnel. Clearly you've probably had it down there. What, especially in talking with your dad, where did that start? Why, Why did some of the, the you know the model image of this job the cigarette in the mouth like why did all those great guys get into administration and create such a disconnect in the fire service now i i think i don't even think they did i just think that it just it just evolves that way like the people like all of a sudden the people that uh, get promoted shoot I don't even know how I got promoted i'm terrible at tests and i and i you know i promoted lieutenant i, I got that high and um, it just became this, this the process of getting promoted became like who was good at this more so and you know who wanted to advance like I've got a really close friend oh, Michael Israel he's a chief of Birmingham now battalion chief and he's a great guy and he's he's a, a man's man he's got your back and all that but he forced me to get promoted he forced me and the whole time I'm like I, I don't want to get promoted because going in that door with that nozzle I mean, that, that's what I live for. I mean, that you guys have done it. I mean, it, it's an amazing feeling to go on that door. First, with that nozzle, I, I loved it. And you get people out that are in this profession that that's not their agenda. You know, they don't want to fight fire. They don't. They want to, it, it's some sort of admin job. They want to keep going and, and become chiefs and stuff and tell other people what to do. When that, I mean, I, again, I wrote in the article that they're scared of fire. You know, I, I've got lieutenants and officers I've talked to that they're openly like, I'm not going in a house fire. I don't like fire. You know, I refuse to go in. And, and that's always blown my mind, you know, because it's literally the, you know, the firefighter, you know. Yeah, it's the name of the profession. I, know, I mean, like, it, it's you know, baffling. you know, you need those. It, it takes all kinds all kinds, right? We've heard that saying you, you you need the people that are good at administration and things like that. But from my perspective and seeing, cause I've got, you know, 18 working on my 19th year. Um, it seems like a lot of the guys who, or girls, or whatever, who would make the best leaders have no interest in advancing. 
as far as, you know, yeah. getting to captain, lieutenant, battalion chief, all that stuff. And it is like in your case where somebody has to go, hey, you need to get promoted. So I'm going to drag you along. Let's go. Um, and those are the people that need to get promoted that don't have an interest in it. The guys and the people that want to be first in the door that want to do all that stuff because you have valuable knowledge that you can then be a leader and instill that in the next generation. And I think right. what happens is like stuff skips a generation. You have all those, you know, those gators, those smoke eaters. Well, they got promoted young or did, you know, or didn't promote or whatever. And they're gone from the job now, you know, and we don't have that generation to build it up. I mean, we were talking about this the other day at the station, like we used to have, you know, station days or chore days, you know, where on Monday it would be this and Tuesday it would be this. And I can remember whenever I first came on of doing all those things. And then somewhere in the past, I would say 10 years, it's rare that you go to a station and see them doing those chores on that day. Even now, posted. Yeah. I mean, now chores still get done mostly, but it, that, that tradition of doing it on that day at that time, you know, it, that's gone. Oh, and yeah. we've, we've lost a lot of those traditions that I think instilled that camaraderie. And, you know, we go to these big fancy stations or whatever with these, everybody's got their own bunk room in cubicle and it really detracts from the camaraderie because whenever I came on, it was all open bunks. So you didn't have people go into their room and hanging out in their, in their, you know, little cubicle. Everybody was in the day room. You were playing cards. You were, you know, doing chores. You were watching TV together. You were doing stuff together. And now it's just, that's gone. I think of our, I know for our job, I think of our 35 stations that we have. I'm one of two with just the still just the kitchen table and an open bunk room. Yeah. It's we've just we've built these monstrosities of stations that I mean I guess look cool, but they just it's so easy to just separate and do your own thing that the camaraderie, like you said, it's just gone. Yeah. And I unfortunately I think that that impacts the rest of the profession. Yeah. And it it, it waters it down to becoming just a job. Yeah. You know, like, are, are we cussing on here? I know you. Oh, guys fuck yeah, we are. Yeah, go oh, ahead. Thank you. I, you know, I never know. <laughs> we, I'm like, we've already been, like, oh, we've already been shadow banned on YouTube. Like, so. hey man, you watch the language. Uh, <laughs> it, it it waters it down just to another profession, y'all. You guys, me, anyone in the right mind didn't take this job for fucking money, man. You know, it's not. It's not for the paycheck. It's not. There's there's a gas station here, Bucky's. Do you guys have those? We just got one here. In Wait, we just got one here. Long ago. Yeah. It's on the way to the gym. They, it, they start out their managers like $26 an hour. I mean, like, are you kidding me? You know? Yeah, we have Quick Trip here. That is, that's the same. It's you the can, same thing. Yeah, but... you can go to Quick Trip and make all kinds of money. My God. Uh, but... Like, see, I I told you. You hear those guys down there? I'm sorry. <laughs> um, 
but I, I started the job, you know, my dad did it. I knew I was going to do it. Uh, I hold firefighters, police in, in extremely high regard and I'm, I'm terrible with guns. So I knew I was going to be a firefighter and it's because <laughs> I wanted to do something that mattered. I, I wanted to do something that mattered with my life. And I, I think that profession, this profession, it, 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 it is that it has been that it can be that, but I, I just feel like the more lately in the last few years, it, like you said about, it's just, it's dwindling down into something to just, to just a job, to just yeah. a city worker, you know, like I, I'm eventually they're going to quit calling us firefighters. They are. I mean, yeah, yeah, it is. going to be first responders or EMTs, whatever, but uh Last of our kind, you know? Well, you um, know, it's it, like in our city and probably with a lot of cities, I could go, you know, you could go work for the water department of your city and probably still be on the lateral same pay scale. Sure. And people aren't spitting on you. People aren't assaulting you. People aren't motherfucking you up and down. People, you know, there ain't no fucking Chicago water department to tell you how to do your fucking job. Yeah. That, you know, that the, the public watches and it's, we have turned in and you know this could go we could open up a big old can of worms but jeremy and i've talked about it before just even with the integration of the fire department and the ems so we're integrating healthcare. you know thinking that that this idea that you know you called us but then you want to be the expert and everybody's self-entitlement and everybody thinking they know what to do it it makes you and i'm sure you've probably done it too throw your hands up in the air and go, why the fuck are we here if you know so much, why are we here? And it's so common. It's it's so ins- more like more and more so common. We've had nurses on here that have gotten their asses beat. We've had cops on here that have been put in stupid situations. I mean, shit, you had a goddamn gun to your head. Yeah. You know, like that. I can hear. I and there's always that one person. It's like, well, this is what you signed up for. Well, maybe you oh should. Do the job. This is those. this is what the job entails. No, it doesn't. It, it no point in any firefighter application process will you find you may have a gun to your head you're going to get motherfucked by the public if you can find me that i'll quit today i uh i told them hang on let me shut this door One second. sorry about that oh you're good man i told them uh, another question i've gotten in an interview was what would you tell people that just came on or in rookie school? And I'm, I tell them that you have to be prepared for anything on this job. And I don't mean in fires and I, I don't mean stuff that they didn't even mention in rookie school. You know, they, they never, I mean, I, I knew what happened. I'm not an idiot. I know how the, the world works and, and, you know, you go into these bad neighborhoods and, and you're not going to get the best response from everyone, but the amount of violence that, has been directed at us, at me as a firefighter on the job. Like, I had no idea. I mean, you know, I just, like I wrote, we just just laugh at it. I mean, all that's what you can do afterwards, you know? But you get called to a, a call and they, you know, they want to attack you for, you know, not helping somebody. I've, I've been attacked, you know, someone, I mean, they were as dead as dead could be. And we still did CPR just to appease people. And got attacked because we didn't bring them back to life, you know. So, I, I think there's so many people, you know, like this is what you signed up for. Like, 
no matter even if it is it's still it's a fucking crazy job you know so we have see, uh in our all. city <laughs> she's like who are you talking to <laughs> go ahead no right. in our city we've what the last four years we've broken so what we broke it in 2018 and we've rebroke it every year since our homicide record and then also our bullet to skin um record and it's something i've been struggling with and i've even ranted on the show about it before is this the i i've always been able to handle just about anything i just hate seeing what one human can do to another one that's one i just don't know that they can ever quite prepare you for until you see it and it's even on another layer of that being a black firefighter in the inner city like seeing you know, I remember back, God, what, two years ago with the George Floyd protest, we, I ran five black dudes shot dead in the street that week and then watched everybody want to scream and yell about racism and not caring about black lives. And it's, it's hard, like just kind of like, they just don't teach you. They don't, you know, and there is no, I don't care what they say. There is no damn employee program that's going to be like hey this is how you deal with this shit and it's just it's frustrating but well and and on that note though i mean how are they gonna teach you or prepare you for that kind of stuff in any academy or rookie school that you're going to go to i mean it it's really one of the aspects of the job that until you see it firsthand you can get told about it all the time you can get told hey you are at some point in your career, you are going to carry a dead baby out of a house. You are going to do CPR on multiple people and you're not going to get them back. Or you're going to have to cut a mom and her baby out of a car and the mom's going to be dead and the baby's going to be fine or vice versa. I mean, there's, they can tell you that stuff, but mentally you're not prepared for it because either one, you don't think that it's going to happen to you you're going to save everybody because you're the best thing that's ever happened to firefighting and EMS or two, it just doesn't even register in how, your mind. How can, how can it, yeah. you know, it's like, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen this, George, like there are things that you could tell people that it just would not register the classic. What's the worst thing you ever seen? Bullshit. Like, you know, and I'm not even going to take the fucking, Oh, you don't want to know seen so many things. I could tell you things that would not fucking register, like you said, Jeremy. Like you yeah. cannot comprehend them. Yeah. Just it when you when you work in a profession, especially in these cities like we have, and you get called to the it's it's your job to get called to the worst things that could possibly be seen. You know, it it's hard to process that. You know, it, it takes a special kind of person. It, it does. You know. And that's what I think my shelf life was 17 years of it. I, I felt like real quick example, we got called to an overdose apartment, bad neighborhood, not, not even late. I think the sun was still up. It was early five or 6 PM. And he, he ended up dying heroin overdose in an apartment. But it was like one of these little like pads. I don't, I don't even know if someone lived there. There's just tons of people coming in. 
no police, just just three of us. And actually, there was five of the medics showed up too. There, so there's five of us working. I'm in charge. Yay me! And the crowd <laughs> surrounds us in, in a small little two bedroom, just a little shanty apartment, watching us work them, telling us that we'd better fucking bring him back. We're you know we're down there. So doing all that, and I'm on the radio telling them that we we need to rush on police and dispatch. I can't remember what happened, but they said they didn't hear me. I repeated myself. And when we got done with that call, got out of there, person died. I got a rid of rude to dispatch. They said that I shouldn't have asked for police twice. And like, you know, I, I had friends in dispatch. I don't know who it was, but I mean, I got a rip for it. I was like, we're in a situation of violence, a fucking, I mean, of us getting hurt and, and there in a, a desk in a building, you know, 10 miles away, you know, I need support here. I, I'm not, I'm a nice person. I know, I know I look crazy. I do. I'm, <laughs> I'm, ask these guys in Birmingham, man. You went to someone in Birmingham and ask them, man, like, was George nice? Like, oh my God, he's the nicest guy ever. I'm nice. I go out of my way to be nice. But I was just like, we needed the fucking police. We needed somebody there with some weapons or, or something. And it's just, it's that lack of support on top of seeing all this bad stuff that, that it stinks, you know? I yeah. I had the exact, I, I think you know about the call. I had a five-person shooting in an entertainment district. And I've got two ambulances, and they're calling for mutual aid from different cities for the next three. So, I mean, it's one of those, hey, you're going to be a minute. And we're getting beer bottles thrown at our ambulance, and the cops are getting overrun, and they've put out a – city assist and it's it's just one of those like this is going to hell in a handbasket and after it was done they're like hey uh great scene management you know you you did what you needed to do let's try not to say fuck on the radio <laughs> that's what that's what you got out of that and all that yeah and all that i'm calling that's, fucking broken arrow yeah. and <laughs> fuck is what you are okay all right that's you know um, it, that's the disheartening part of dealing with administration who are so removed from being in the street sure. because, and and that's part of it i think is whenever they get to that level they haven't ran calls in probably 10 years if not longer and in the last 10 years our job has changed dramatically probably more than any other 10-year span in firefighting i would say the call volume has just exploded the new stuff that we have to deal with is so much worse than anything they were dealing with, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And it's just, there's a disconnect. It's different now and they don't get it. it, it it's something. I, not plugging my, my spots, my other job. I have two restaurants, 70 employees. And I'm telling you, I try and take to heart lessons from the fire department both good and bad as far as you know a chain of command or giving them the support they need and that's not even a life-saving job that's just fucking waiting tables and cooking you know but i try and be empathetic to everyone's situations you know in, in contrast to you know like it's always in the back of my mind that you know when i didn't feel the support from the fire department and the administration you know because it's been forever since i've done these jobs you know and they'll they'll get into it with the table and, and they'll you know, sometimes I think they're in the wrong or in the right, but I try and look at it like, you know, as some sort of mediator, 
I, I think today's administrations and, and fire departments, they they tend to lean to this, you know, very conscious of public perception. I don't know if that's stuff that's spilling over from everything the police have nationally gone through in the last decade. Oh, you know, I would I would say a hundred percent that it's that and it's the culture shift that we've had sure. in the last five years. Absolutely. I mean yeah. our the culture in the United States has shifted dramatically. Right. And I would say not for the better. No, I, I would say not for the better. I, I, I think some stuff, some stuff is good, but in general, the wrong things are being worried about too often. You know, like, yeah. like him saying, fuck on the radio. Like, you, you know, we got bodies on the ground. And fuck your fuck, you know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that, that is the that, perfect code word. But I need some support. If I say fuck on the radio, I need some fucking backing here. You know, yeah. I'm not just saying it to be funny. You know, or to be, you know, Dave Chappelle. I'm just, you know, I'm not making jokes. Like this is a situation where I need support. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, like, it's war, but it's not. It's not peacetime if you're you know, out there on those it, it is it almost is I've, I've talked to military veterans who are good friends that went on to do something other than public service and, and we've had like you know and, I, and i've always been very upfront probably same as you i've always thanking them for their service and being very not only thanking them but being appreciative of what they did they went overseas for a year to a shit show in defense of us and and i've had conversations with some of them and they're like dude i'll do a year over 25 and they're not wrong. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it completely. It, it's scary to think about, but yeah, I mean, we, if you get it working in the busier stations in the worse areas, like it's those streets are a fucking war sometimes. Maybe not ours, but doesn't mean we're not walking right in the fucking middle of it with a bigger ass red fire truck. No, we're yeah. going the places that we go in, in Birmingham and in these big cities where you guys work. I don't think people know they exist that live within just a few miles of there. I'm I'm serious. I mean, you've oh, been I'm... in these houses and neighborhoods and situations and people are like, really? Like all my friends were, you know, I'd tell them I, you know, the next day I'd be in, I was like, man, we were in a house fire. And they're like, really? I didn't see it on the news. I was like, yeah, that's because they're in the neighborhoods that never make it to the news. You know, like they're not yeah. a mansion. Uh, you know, I'm not in the neighborhood. You guys don't know, you know, Mountain Brook is the big neighborhood here, like a rich neighborhood. And, you know, if it's in Mount Road, it could be on the news, but it's not. It's in it's in Everton. It's in uh, Kingston. So yeah, that's not. Our, I was I was just having that conversation yesterday with. Uh, I'm a district safety officer, so I drive the battalion chief around. So we go to all the fires and, you know, car wrecks and all that stuff that need a battalion chief. And we were having that conversation coming back from a meeting, and it's like, yeah, the the houses that we go into and the parts of the city that we go into, most people have no idea of what goes on three streets over right? of the type of people that, you know, that need help, you know, the hoarding and just our, everything our, on, down the line. You don't know because uh, once people go in the house, they close the door. All yeah. you see is the outside of the house. That's it. And all from a lot of those neighborhoods, all you see is as you're passing on the interstate, you're like, Oh, that looks like a shitty neighborhood. Well, guess what? There's a lot of problems in there. Our oh, city, yeah. our city has a very distinct racial dividing line, and it goes back what thirties, forties, fifties, forties or fifties, probably. When yeah, a big, a big real estate guy, basically, when you know, 
essentially developed the city. There was no black people on the west side of this line. There just wasn't. And you can still see it to this day. There's a difference in $100,000 between a house on one side of the street and the other. And it is, they have gentrified one part and brought it back. And it's it's a cool area. I mean, they have these beautiful three-story, 100-year-old homes, you know, that are just gorgeous. And the same homes are across the street that they're just in shambles. And the white people or the rich people stay on the west side and the people that can't afford it are stuck on the other side. And it is like, you should come here sometime and see it. It's sad. It, it really is. Yeah. Man. But, How long have you guys got on? I know you said you had 19. Yeah, I'm working on 19. I'm 18 and a half. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just hit six back in October, which is, you know, it's oh, actually. Wow. It's and it's been fun. I've been in EMS since 2009 and been with our department since 2016. Um, and there's a lot of back and forth, even between Jeremy and I. Our his age and my lack of age shows sometimes in our discussions, but <laughs> yeah, but, it's basically that's a nice way to call me old without no, calling like, me old. Yeah, he's old. <laughs> The older you get, you learn a lot more nice ways to be called old. I guess. Uh, yeah. But I, I definitely think, though, it's been, I would say it's been beneficial to both of us, probably more me than him just continuing to learn. But I remember, you know, when Jeremy had first made captain, there was just a simple EMS call. It, it was kind of a sick patient for a little bit. I think that what, it was an overdose. It was an overdose, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they weren't breathing for a minute, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and I remember telling Jeremy, I'm like, hey, what are you doing? Like back your ass up. You're a captain now. Like, let us take care of it. Like we're fine. You know, and that was, you maybe had what a month or two as a new captain at that point. If that, if that, yeah. you know, um, how and, tough is that, man? Uh, oh dude, that transitions. Man, I know. I know they did it with Lieutenant. They did it. That's how they treated me with Lieutenant. And, you know, I got written up for using a, a tool or extrication tool on a scene. <laughs> I'm kidding me. They're like, you're supposed to tell people what to do, not do it. And I'm like, can I show them? You know, like, <laughs> I mean, well, you you can, but it's got to be during training hours. And <laughs> swear to God, you know, when no one's paying attention. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, yeah that that was the I that was the hardest transition for me was the going from the the guy that does everything to guy that steps back and watches everything. And, you know, even with uh, riding out as captain for as long as I was able to before I got promoted and all of that stuff, it doesn't prepare you, you know, because you're doing it for one shift here, one shift there, you know, and you're doing it with the crew that you work with all the time anyway. So, you know, a lot of us, at least until I would say the last couple years on our department, a lot of the crews had been together for considerable amount of time. Um, but we've had some turnover and, you know, now things are all kind of jumbled up. So you'd be with this crew that you've been with forever. You don't, you're riding out as captain. Really all you're doing is just kind of standing there because everybody knows what their job is. You know, we're, I do this and I do this and I do this and we just continue on. Like there's no, there's no change. And then whenever you get promoted and for us, we do what's called floating, so you'll be assigned to a district and then you just, wherever there's a vacancy for captain that day, that's where you get put. 
So you're working with all new people, every different shift. And it's, it's a great learning experience because you get to see how different areas of the city operate and different crews, how they do their own little thing, which is great in that aspect, but it's a, it's a, it can be a rough transition. And then there's little assholes like me that come in the door, see he's working. I'm like, fuck you. I'm not listening to you today. And he's like, yes, you are. I'm like, no, I'm not. Fuck you. <laughs> not wearing shoes today. <laughs> but um, you said you had 35 stations. Yep. 35 stations, 35 pumpers, three heavy rescues, 12 trucks. Mm, sure. If they're all in actual trucks. Yeah. Now, all in actual trucks. No. Well, so yeah, twelve ladders, um, two ARF stations. Yeah, so it's pretty. Our Good square mi- our square mileage is large, huge, huge. Um, I like it. Oh. It's and it's it's interesting. So like my station, you know, we have a heavy rescue which has six on it, a ladder which has four, and a pumper which has four. You know, so it's we are. You know, fairly busy, but like everybody's jobs different. We all have, you know, different. What what I like about our our city, and I'm I'm sure probably with Birmingham too, is we know what we're doing the minute we get off the rig. We already have our pre-assigned duties of where we're setting. We know what to do, and it just makes it move that much quicker. Where we have a lot of what we call auto aid with neighboring suburban departments who are great. They're all great at their profession, but they're more of everybody line up and wait for the chief to tell them what to do. So. It, I definitely appreciate the autonomy that our job gives us and through our roles and responsibilities. So I, I have tremendous respect for that setup and that that's in the last few years here that they've gotten away from that. So now they just have everyone staged and they just want one person, i.e. the chief on the scene or whoever's in charge has command to administer responsibilities and, you know, action. And, and it, it Again, it, it, the majority of my career was not like that. You know, we would do what you said. You know, you would get off. You knew what you were supposed to do. Dragging hose, throwing tools by the door, whatever. You know, you knew what you were supposed to do. And they've taken that away here. So, Yeah, I know, like, with ours, it's nice. Like, on the rescue, we've got two, three teams of two. And it's two on the fire floor, two on the not fire floor, two in the back door. And it's just boom, you know. And, and, and I've even learned since moving to the heavy rescue now, like, just little stuff that, you know, I didn't know on a pumper. So, you know, now I'm looking to see if houses have bars. If a house has bars and I know I'm going to the back door, I may be grabbing our our uh, combi tool, our little battery-powered extrication tool, start pop. It's just, it's taught me a lot. And, and that's what I like about it is, is it's even made me more observant and all sorts of different things that, you know, just I'm, I'm glad to be in a department of this size that allows that. So yeah, that's awesome. Whenever they did that switch with oh, you yeah. guys of – how you guys were going to deploy did they give you a reason or was it gradual or was it they they really bought into the incident command system that was it yeah but uh, even running that system i mean because we run the incident command system loosely loosely (laughs) yeah loosely but you know like if it's a house fire and and it could be partially just because of the the traditions that we have and how spread out our city is where there are certain areas of the city where if you're on a pumper and you go to a house fire, you may be by yourself for upwards of over five minutes, which, wow. I mean, that's a long no, time. 
I mean, five minutes in a fist fight. I mean, yeah. so <laughs> I think maybe that's why they kind of left that aspect of it alone for us. That, that could be, I don't know. Yeah. In Midtown, we've got companies. Uh, oh yeah. We're tripping other. over each other trying to get in the front door. Sure. I, I don't know what it was. This changed. They just, uh, it wasn't for the best. I mean, I, I truly feel like that. I mean, very few people agree the shift, but I mean, that's, that's the what that's the way here now uh, you know it, it takes away like they would justify you know saying oh we have so many new, new people that don't know what to do it's like well let's train them what to do let's tell them what to do when they get off the engine you know you know get the howling get the get the pickhead you know back him yeah. up yeah hey brag one of the things that i love doing and i got really good at is getting in those damn burglar boards, man. And I got I got really good at it with tools. I think that was the the one I learned on this job. I, I would be a very good burglar now. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, can, I can get into a house easily now, you know. I mean, so, and, and just think about, you know, being an officer, they would, no way would, I mean, I would have to do that before any chiefs or captain showed up, you know. <laughs> They were like, what? No way, you know, get the guy that's only been here three months to do it. Like, okay. But anyway. There's a lot of things I've learned. I would be, I think I would be a, things I've learned from this job that I would be better at than being a firefighter. I think I'd be a really good homeless drunk. Um, (laughs) Sitting in those hospital beds, getting fed for free is not a bad deal. It's really not. That said, I always, I got worked up and I tell these people, I was like, why, why do you want to go to the hospital? So I hate the hospital. Like, I hate going to the hospital. You know, no, there'll be, there's a shelter here, firehouse shelter. And uh, it's, shoot, it's been around forever, but the location they're in now has been there two years, three years. I mean, it's like a college dorm. It's nice. So when we go there and someone's got a headache to leave and wants to go to the hospital, it's like, why are you leaving here for this bullshit? You know? <laughs> Well, because uh, the- I mean, if they were on the street or under the bridge, it's ten degrees outside. But I mean, the fire shelter—I'm serious. It's it's as nice or nicer than the dorms I stayed in in college, you know. Well, so, a, a lot of that has to do with they can't do their bullshit in those places. Yeah. So they go out for whatever reason, go to the hospital, get some food, whatever, and then they go to the street. They don't go right. back. You know, and we have the same thing here where we've got shelters and this and that and the other thing. And they just, I mean, they're used, they're full, but we still have people that, no, I'm not going. Our shelter, we've got one that, you know, they'll, and it's a cascade effect. Somebody will call for whatever bullshit and an ambulance will show up. And before that first ambulance leaves, you'll see five of them in a line because then somebody else is like, no, I could call the ambulance. Well, wait, I want to call the ambulance and you'll, you'll, you'll literally see five ambulances lined up. Oh my God. I hate (laughs) Yeah. You ain't gonna see that on the news though. (laughs) See, I know that's, that's something that, you know, that's like the kind of uh, things that you say to uh, someone outside of the fire service and they're like, well, man, I guess they were just sick too. Like, yeah, what a coincidence! They were sick too. They weren't <laughs> sick too. You know, attention or what? And see, but that goes back to that whole thing of that knowledge gap of people. Like, 
you know, I don't want to say average, but the, the everyday normal citizen who doesn't see this side of life, they have no clue that this is going on just down the street from them, right. you know? And it's like, yeah, this is the stuff that is happening in your backyard. Why are you not pissed about it? Because you don't know. And the news isn't going to tell you. Like, they're going to do their little sensational story, and it's going to be in the cycle for five minutes. And then it's going to get buried because they're going to be on to the next thing. How is your how is the how was the lines personnel relationship with your union down in Birmingham? It broke up for just a second. Could you repeat that last question? How was your how was your all's relationship with your with your local with your union down there? Uh, it's good. Uh, yeah, a friend of mine, Stephen Coach, president. Uh, he every scrape I've gotten into, right or wrong, um, they've had my back fully. I don't know how much influence or support they have at city hall or with the mayor. Um, they're, it's a pretty anti-administration union. They're very disgruntled with the uh, administration right now. Very. Um, I think that's the union's job, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I just, but I mean, I, I've never, again, more so than ever right now, more, more so than ever with any, I think I've been through five, Top Chiefs, I think we're on the fifth one since in my career. And, you know, but yeah, short answer, yes. Great union. Good union. How about y'all? I, We have been very blessed that we have the political pull with our union. Um, we do have the in at City Hall and with the mayor, and, and we're very – when the union wants to get something done, it gets done very quickly in that aspect. I think some of the things we're still seeing is just a, a bit of a disconnect um, between union management and just. It's the same problem you have with administration. Yeah. They're not on the street. Right. They're just not. So they don't really know what's going on with their membership. So, so it's uh, it's we get good we have gotten a lot of great things done. We have a lot of benefits that a lot of other apartments don't have that sometimes I think we take for granted or forget about. But then it's just there's sometimes we're like, Well, what are you fucking doing? Like, you know, with a certain it. situation. But <laughs> overall, like I said, the the benefits truly for what our job I think is what makes it great. Yeah, the pay the pay is average. I'm uh, maybe above average. It, it's I can pay bills. That that's never been a problem with us, but our benefits are definitely second to none. You made or Jeremy and I have talked before. And it's interesting we had last episode I was on, we had a gal named Taylor out of South Carolina. South Carolina. It was I don't even want to say similar story to yours, but basically was done with her career, knew when it was, made a pretty viral post, and we were blessed enough to have her on. Um, and, and Jeremy and I've talked before, like, how is this career sustainable? How in the hell are you supposed to do the things you do, see the things you see and come out on the backside of 25 or 30 years and still be worth a shit, still be a normal human. Yeah. And more and more, and especially with people like you, I think sometimes the answer there just is you don't. 
you don't do that time. You don't do 25 years. You Sometimes you just recognize when your brain mentally, your body physically has said, hey, we had a good run, but this isn't it. I think what it boils down to, and I've actually been thinking about this quite a bit, what it boils down to is everybody's got a cup or a box or whatever storage device you would like to call it. And all of the shit that you see and do and all of that stuff with this job gets put in there. And eventually it's going to overflow and it doesn't matter. I think you can stave off that stuff with doing the things that you need to do to keep yourself healthy, you know, with the physical fitness, your mental health fitness, you know, I think there are ways to prolong that career. But I also think there's needs to be like that little voice that you need to listen to that says, okay, I've done what I need to do. I'm done. I'm going to get out. I'm going to go do something else. You know, and if that's five years, if that's 10 years, 15, 25, whatever. And everybody's different. So the size of that container is not going to be the same for everybody. And I think as a culture, we need to realize that and maybe stop throwing shit balls at people that leave after five years or 10 years or 15 or whatever and say, oh, well, they couldn't make it. They couldn't hack it and all that. That's just bullshit. It it just is. And it pisses me off. Well, yeah, I completely agree. Um, yeah, I mean, what is the number? I mean, it's just everyone's different and everyone's experiences on this job are different. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, you could see, you can go your whole career, hopefully, without seeing a, a child die or get killed or murdered or run over anything. But seeing one, I, I tell people that, like, I've seen so many dead bodies in this job. And, okay, but it's the children that stick with you, you know. I mean, they eat you a lot. Like, there's no laughing that off. There's no, like, jokes to be made about that. You know, uh, I mentioned one in an article. I mean, there's there's been quite a few. It's just... Um, well, and it's to each their own too. Like for me, I don't have kids. It doesn't bother me, but, um, I moved my grandpa in full time. So I'm his caretaker at my house and it's just me and him. And I've seen a lot of elderly abuse and neglected elderly that that's my thing. Like it, it's okay to have your own. Sure. That, that gets you, you know? No, you have to have all of the same things that I have. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and George, like you, you fucking get it. Like you are are blessed that you can, I mean, here's the thing. You can straight up walk away and say, Hey, I got a hot wife, kids that love me Two great fucking restaurants. I don't fucking need this. Like, yeah. you know, you weren't so your identity wasn't, I'm a firefighter. Right. Your identity is I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a business owner and I'm a firefighter. Right. I get that, that uh, I tell people I, I'm truly blessed and, and that, you know, a number of, I don't think everyone has the, you know, the same support system I do. I, I think everyone should, you know, you got to surround yourself with the best people, but as far as, you know, self-inventory, when I left this job, you know, that, I mean, that's what it started with, you know, just like taking inventory myself. And, and like you said, whatever, uh, Carry case, you know, a box, a cup, a you know, storage, 
Yeah. No. Tupperware. Tupperware. <laughs> <A> thimble. <laughs> so I do I do have a question for you, George. Um, yeah. since you're in Alabama, hockey. I didn't know that was a hotbed of hockey. Man. <laughs> I, I've been a, a, all my life been into hockey. I just uh, when when cable first became a thing, I'm older than you guys. When cable first became a thing, they would always play the Rangers games, and I got into it young. Uh, I started playing. I screwed around with it, you know, 18 and 19, like roller hockey and stuff. And about eight or nine years ago, a friend of mine got me back into it, and I have just become obsessed with the students. And we play three times a week. My poor wife, I drag her. She keeps score. Uh, <laughs> I, I've got I've got my own league now. Um, yeah, we love it. <laughs> It's a thing. There's I love a, how he said I got my own league and didn't say I got a forty and over league. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's wide open the league, man. It's all ages, but uh, they uh, there's only three sheets of ice to skate on, I think, in the state, and we have two of them here in Birmingham, so or in Pelham, which is, I mean, you know, fifteen minutes from here is nothing. So yeah, I love it, man. You talk about an outlet. Uh, it's fun. I got some firefighters that play too, so. We have a, we have a department team. I just haven't seen them play in forever. We have a department. We hockey team? we have a department hockey team. Yeah. Really? Oh, is it like our department softball team that no, doesn't exist, or no, department no, basketball team that doesn't exist? Uniforms and everything. I just I haven't seen them play in like two or three years. I think since COVID. Okay. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> well, do things, this. things you learn. I want a T-shirt, so give me one. I'll pay y'all for it. I've been loaded. No, we'll just we'll send it to you. That's not a problem at all. George, I'll ask you this for the people that you know, we've seen the numbers. Hell, our job used to have four thousand, five thousand person application processes, and now we're down to four and five hundred. To those insane few of us that are still like, I want to be a firefighter. What advice do you have for the new guys? To go in, prepare for anything and, and be passionate about the job. Going in, I mean, I tell, I tell these guys, a friend of mine's son started as a firefighter. And I've talked to him. He's My friend's a police officer here, and his son just started. And I told him, it's like, look, just do what, you know, around the station, just be that low man. Do, you know, no problem. I'll get this. I'll get this. Be willing to do, you know, whatever you have to to get through the shift. You learn the respect of the people that you work with. I mean, I, I'm talking about both on fire scenes, uh, cleaning up around the station, you know, the shit work, whatever, you know. That even as a lieutenant, I would still do the shit work. I just I felt like that was part of the camaraderie, you know, taking out the trash, washing the engine, all that stuff. You know, I didn't want to just sit and hide behind paperwork. God. So, you know, just be prepared for anything when you're on a call, anything, literally anything. And uh, you know, that's about it. Yeah. Pay your dues, earn your place. Sure, absolutely pay your dues. Yeah, that seems to be uh, a foreign concept in today's culture. Sure. Unfortunately. Everybody's it is weird, matter. though. It's the same in Birmingham, like, with the numbers. You know, when I tried to get on, it took me going through twice and having, you know, I had some pull, you know, because of my dad and my sisters very worked for an influential law firm, I mean, to get the job. But there were thousands of people trying to get on as the fire department. And now, I mean, they're they're practically stopping people, you know, on the street and asking them if they want to work, you know, 
So yeah, it's it's nationwide, man. I mean, pretty much everywhere is hiring and they're just not getting the applicants that they did 10, 15 years ago. Right. So and like I said, yeah, it's it's nationwide. I've talked to firefighters in California and Washington and New York and all across the country. It's it's the same way. And I don't know what the shift was, if everybody thinks they're going to be Instagram famous or like what the deal is, but this newer generation, it doesn't hold the allure to them. Like it's not the calling that it was. Yeah. I think a lot of people, they just see it as a job and some people might not even see it as like, Oh, that's something that I could do or I want to do. So, you know, it does. I, and George, obviously, I brought you on because of your article, but it poses the question: Are we doing a disservice to the job ourselves? Right. So, like, you get a new guy that's like, "Hey, I want to be a firefighter. That looks cool," and then we show him your article. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, are we mad that maybe he changes his mind? <laughs> well, it... I get it. Um... Like when I we tell them the reality of it, you know, it, it kind of seems like every generation is a little bit softer than the one before it. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, like if you showed me that article, you know, back when I started, I would still, I still do it. You know, like I, I wasn't trying to, you know, smear the firefighting. I was like, this is just, this is how it's been. It's been, it's been great. You know, delivered a baby. My God, it was awesome. You know, I've done some really experienced, really cool stuff out there, but you know, the good, the bad. I mean, again, it's just, do you want to do a job that matters? And is that job still the same as it was when I started? And I don't feel like it is. I think that's a big part of why, you know, people, I mean, it's not just the only reason. I mean, post COVID, it seems like there's time. To, sorry. Post COVID, it like, all of a sudden, no one works anymore. It's weird. Like, I don't understand how people are paying their bills. Like, like, yeah, I don't know. Like that, and my wife and I were talking about that the other day. It's like, where did everybody go? I do. We deal with the same thing at the shop. Like, as I work part time in an automotive shop, and people will we'll get applications. People will show up for an interview, or ghost us for an interview, or ghost us after an interview. And I'm just like, well, where the fuck you working then? Like, <laughs> yeah, because everybody's hiring. It's yeah. not like we're the only ones, you know, and you go to like, even you go to target and you see like three people working or Walmart or Starbucks or wherever. And it's like, everybody's working short staffed. So that's a good question. How, how is everybody making their money? Yeah, we're, not we're everybody not started an Etsy page and is, <laughs> you know, I hate through podcast cause we ain't making shit. <laughs> I know. Don't even start. <laughs> Don't start with me. <laughs> one what the thing the thing no you're saying the thing i'm not saying the thing. you're saying that you didn't even ask him for closing thoughts i know because i'm pointing at you two no you're doing it excuse us george why we have a little lover's quarrel i'm not fucking doing it yeah you are god damn it sorry george sorry i had to witness mom and dad fighting um <laughs> well uh, brother, closing thoughts for this episode. We're very thankful you came on. What, what, what do you want to give us for your closing thoughts? 
Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me uh, for starters. Um, just closing thoughts that I have so many friends, men and women in this profession. And I just take what you can from this profession, you know, and, and don't let it, like you said, don't let this job be your only identity. You know, uh, I think it's very easy to get a bleak outlook on humanity in this job. And, and I do, and I'm trying to be better about it. I'm trying you know, even a bit of therapy, uh, don't be scared to ask for help. I mean, I'm not talking about like, help, help with your mental health, you know, therapy, talk to someone, don't, you know, don't let it become this bottle of, uh, of darkness inside you to be cheesy, you know, uh, find an outlet and, and that's about it, man. You know, surround yourself with people to support what you do and can understand the frustrations that you're going to bring home, you know, and that's it. Jeremy, final thoughts? Um, yeah, I'll echo everything that he said pretty much is, you know, take take out of this job what you can and don't don't let it consume you, you know, because you are more than just a firefighter. You know, there's a, a whole aspect of your life. You might spend a third of your life at the station if you work at 2448. That's still two-thirds that you're not there. And you got to make those days count and you got to do what you need to do to keep yourself fit and healthy for the rest of your life. Cause at the end of the day, you might spend 17 years on the job. You might spend 25, you might go 32, but that's only 32 years of your life. It's a big chunk, but it's not all of it. You ultimately, most people spend more of their life out of the career than in the career right so make sure that you're healthy when you walk out the door and that's goes for physical health and mental health so take care of yourself i uh and i hate to say i'm echoing both of you guys but in a sense i am when i say that you know i i think george is another great example of why it is important to a have a different identity but b just to continue to work on yourself Best case scenario, you prolong your career. But then also, it's okay to know when to walk away. It's just all right to say, hey, I've done my dues. I've done what I can to extend to continue my dues. I'm at a point now for myself, my family, those I love, my own mental health. That it's time to find something different. There, I would rather work alongside someone that knew their boundaries of when and when not to be there instead of someone that should have left a long time ago. Absolutely. Michael Jordan. That still would have played with Michael Jordan today. <laughs> He's the perfect example though. Well, George brother, you are officially a friend of the show. You are welcome back anytime. Well, thank you. We love um, you. Thank you. Have you guys back. Y'all be safe out there. Keep in touch. All that good stuff. I'll oh, let yeah. you know when I'm in the area. I'm, yep. I'm traveling. Soon, so hang out with Shake us for a Yeah, hang out with us for a quick Absolutely. second after the show. If you are struggling, reach out. There are options available. There, there are so many different outlets, whether it be hockey, whether it be starting your own restaurant, whether it be counseling or even yoga. There are so many different options available to help with, with yourself. And 
if you know someone that's struggling, reach out, be that friend, be that resource for them. And with that, thank you for stopping by.